Welcome to Briarwood Football Classics. I'm Matthew Forster. I'm the head coach of Briarwood Christian School in Birmingham, Alabama. This season is the 50th season of Briarwood Football, and we're publishing this podcast to remember some great games and moments from the past. And these are Briarwood Football Classics. It's so hard to believe that we're wrapping up these Briarwood Football Podcasts, but we only have three episodes left. We're going to have two back-to-back episodes with Coach Fred Yancey And then our final episode will be with Coach Matthew Forrester. Cannot express enough how excited it was to sit down with Coach Yancey and talk about his time at Briarwood and the influences of his coaching life and the ministry he had at Briarwood. You know, Coach Yancey's health is really good, and his passion for coaching is as strong as it's ever been. He does a weekly Bible study with coaches at other schools, And we were blessed to have him come do a Bible study with our coaches this year as well. His legacy and tenure as the head football coach at Briarwood will stand as one of historic excellence. Uh, 29 years at Briarwood, 49 years as a head coach is really amazing. His first job was at Memphis Overton in 1963, and he later came to Briarwood uh, Christian School in 1990. At Briarwood, he coached three state championship teams, three state runner-ups, impressive career, 319 wins, 115 losses one time. His Briarwood record was 278 and 95. He took Briarwood to 26 straight playoff appearances. He's third all-time in the state of Alabama for most wins at one school. He's fourth all-time for area region games won, fourth For most playoff games, won all-time in the state of Alabama. Uh, Multiple times Coach of the Year, coached in the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star Game, game. Uh, was the National Coach of the Year by the NCCAA in 2017 and was inducted in the Alabama High School Sports Hall of Fame. But most people remember Coach Yancey, and they speak of him often as a man who clearly demonstrated passion for Jesus Christ, and always understood his work to be primarily a ministry of discipleship. Oh, great, Jay. I've enjoyed the podcast that that you've done so far, and uh, I appreciate you having me out. So I wanted to start back when you were a player in Uh, in the idea of, of, you know, how your playing days impacted you eventually becoming the the Hall of Fame coach that you are. Well, Jay, I I appreciate you asking the question because, you know, a lot of of great coaches that over the years, man, they've got a track record that's just beautiful and wonderful and all of all this and all that and a lot of success. Mine was a deal where in junior high, I knew I wanted to be a high school football coach. That was, that was really the only thing that ever entered my mind because my, my older brother, uh, was in the process of uh, becoming a, a coach also. So I was, my ears were perked up, my eyes were open, and I was paying attention to what was going on. And uh, I played six years of football in uh, junior high and high school, and uh, I think I benefited greatly uh, because I knew what I wanted to do. And uh, I paid attention to my coaches. I loved playing junior high football for Danny Childs and then later Coach Bepley. And they were fundamental guys, and they taught toughness, but they were they're pretty smart about teaching the toughness to young guys. 
uh, at a pace we could handle. Uh, for, for my grade and my group, I was a good player, a little lineman, but uh, was captain of the team and all that stuff coming out of freshman year. Going into my 10th grade year knowing that, gosh, I'm fixing to get in over my head because uh, Messick High School in Memphis was a pretty good uh, football team. And they had some seniors that were going to just crush me, spit me up, chew me out, and all of that. And the chief among them was Larry Misaraka. <laughs> and uh, uh, Jay laughs because he's heard so many stories about Larry Misaraka. Well, Larry was a senior. He signed with Tennessee that year, and he was one of my good friends. He was in my neighborhood. But I knew Larry was just going to kill me on that field, and I was scared to death of Larry Misaraka. I was just nervous, Nellie, and uh, I thought, well, I, I think I'm going to have to quit. I don't want to do this. And uh, But then I realized my older brothers were to be more feared than Larry Misaraka. In fact, my, when I came home fussing about the coaches, and I didn't like this, and I didn't like that, and I was whining and crying, my daddy looked at me and he said, son, why don't you just be a quitter and be a suck egg hound and quit? Well, being from Mississippi, he knew what a suck egg hound was. I didn't, but I knew I didn't want to be a quitter <laughs> nor a suck egg hound. So I didn't quit, stuck with it. As the days went on, one of those seniors who was supposed to be a good starter wasn't doing any good. A freshman coach, he watched me practice one day, and he caught, pulled me aside, and he said, Yancey said, you're not doing what you should do. I said, sir? He said, you ought to be starting. Lord, that year I actually got to start about four or five games. How about that? And uh, it was because of coaches inspiring me, and, and I was probably a little better at that point than I thought I was. And what I feared wasn't as fearsome as I thought either. And so that's a lesson. The reason I tell that little story is over the years at Briarwood, many times the I'd have boys leaving the ninth grade, coming into spring practice before their sophomore year and they'd come to me and say coach I've been praying about it and I think the Lord wants me to quit football so I can concentrate on this that or the other or just whatever and I would always say well I've been praying too and uh, <laughs> the Lord hadn't told me a thing about you leaving the team who are you afraid of mm. and then I would mention uh, a, a good player on our team and say I bet that's who you're nervous about and they would usually say, yes, sir. But we'd talk them through that, and I'd let them know that uh, if they'd get out there and get with it, uh, it'd be a tough, difficult, but a wonderful experience. And we weren't trying to put them against the very best player on the team. A guy like gave them a little confidence, and we kept many a player around uh, as a young player who later became good players. Yeah. And then, of course, when I uh, got a chance to uh, be a junior and a senior, I – Played a lot, had a lot of fun, and uh, uh, once again, as a senior, was captain of the team, and I always took that as a as a compliment. And I also felt like that it was a sign that maybe the Lord had given me some leadership that I needed to uh, understand that that was kind of my talent. You know, going back to that little brother pressure, tell so, me the story again of the uh, Yancey tradition of the first play in pads. Without a doubt, uh, throughout high school for. My years there, we'd play in what we call the jamboree. It was demanded by my brothers that as on the first play of any of those jamborees, as soon as the center put his hands on the ball, 
I was to try to knock his teeth out. If I didn't, I would have been in trouble. But I always did it, and my coaches would always say, what are you doing? And I thought, um, I just made the better choice. <laughs> but uh, it, it kind of it did kind of help set a tone for me that uh, we were, we were going to we were going to hit. Did you ever have any of your any of your players ever did jump off sides intentionally just to hit somebody or? You know, I I don't I don't remember that. I happening. imagine you would chew them out. Oh, I'd have said, "How stupid are you? We're trying we're trying to win the game. Why would you do that?" Uh, you know, when you think back to your early coaching days, uh, some of the style and influence, you know, because you came to Briarwood with a desire to throw the football, you know, yeah. when we looked at that 1990 and when Bart uh, and you came and joined Joey here. So a little bit of kind of how that style developed. Yeah, after college I was an assistant coach at Overton High School for five years. And thankfully Coach Robinson, our head coach, he told me early on, he said, you want to be a head coach someday? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm going to have you coach every position over the years. And uh, he would allow me to be a defensive line coach, a defensive back coach, a, a linebacker, a quarterbacks, receiver. I coached every position between spring practice and uh, seasons, five seasons. I was a defensive coordinator. I was an offensive coordinator. And by the time that fifth season was over, I had coached a lot of th ways, and I think I'd grown a lot. So I was really, I was really anxious to be a head coach. Got a chance to be head coach at Towering Oaks in Memphis. That's when the wishbone was going strong, and and man, I wanted to run the wishbone, run a triple option. But I had a quarterback who was probably as good as any athlete I've ever had at quarterback. Uh, he later played for the Toronto Blue Jays in baseball, so I needed to get him out of the wishbone. So his junior year, we, I started looking around, and my brother Bob who was always my greatest influence. And he was really into Homer Rice, uh, great coach, uh, Cincinnati, and then later with the Cincinnati Bengals and so forth. He was kind of a disciple of him, and we went to a clinic that Homer Rice put on and enjoyed that. And I got fired up and excited about three wide receivers, uh, two split backs, running the veer, mixing the veer in the drop back pass game. And so when I came to Briarwood, Nobody was throwing the football in the state of Alabama. They just nobody did it. And we came down, and Bart was uh, able to, and it was a good player. And boy, we had some good receivers, and uh, uh, just a whole slew of them. And and uh, Joey Jones worked with those guys, and so we were we were pretty much ahead of every curve in Alabama at that point, just passing and catching. So that's how it, how it all kind of got started, and then. Over the years, I don't know if you want me to go this far, but when Jay came on board, we, Jay did such a good job. Uh, Coach Matthews did a great job of making us more balanced, and we added a lot of Tennessee's, the University of Tennessee's power game and gap down blocker, kick out. We, we just became more multiple. At some point, we put in the heavy package uh, that Mike Sanders brought over from mm -hmm. Hewitt Trustful that uh, – I mean, when we got under center in the goal line situations, we were near 100%. So all of that evolves. Uh, I don't take any credit for other than the fact that I, I'm pretty good at recognizing something that might work and, 
and going with it, and that's what we did. I've got to hear some of these stories, so I'm going to go back a little bit pre-Briarwood days. So, you know, you and Sharon, uh, early days, trying to make ends meet and all. Uh, so I've got to hear one more time the, the vacuum cleaner salesman because <laughs> I think that's uh, it's worth at least uh, putting in the archives. <laughs> I'll put it in. I don't know if anybody else will think it's funny, but we were just a young married couple uh, living in a little old apartment in a uh, little duplex in Memphis. And, well, I, heck, I was getting paid $6,200 a year. <laughs> and thought I was rich, but we really weren't. We knew that. One night, a guy pulls up in my yard and brand new Thunderbird, red, candy apple red Thunderbird. I didn't know who he was, but I was already impressed. And he's selling vacuum cleaners. Now, we had a little vacuum cleaner that was plenty for that uh, duplex, but uh, man, he got to talking and showing us how to put pillows in uh, a plastic bag, put the vacuum cleaner down there, and it just suck it up to nothing almost. <laughs> then he'd take that vacuum cleaner and put it on the floor and turn that motor on and it was so strong you couldn't put, pick it up. He kept on and on and he threw dirt around the place and vacuumed it up just great. At some point he looked at me and he said, Mr. Yancey, he said, do you realize when I hold this vacuum cleaner that's outside, it's sucking air for a mile. <laughs> and I said, a mile? Good night. Man, I just had to have it. So we spent several hundred dollars mm. buying a vacuum cleaner that would suck air for a mile. I, I sent him down to my cousin's house, who uh, they, they live pretty close, and they ended up buying one also. Did the sucking air for a mile get you? And he said, no. He said, what sold me was when he told me it vacuumed the water out of the boat. I said, y'all don't have a boat. He said, I know it. I said, I don't know why we bought the thing. But that was the best salesman I've ever been, I've ever seen in my life. But he could sell vacuum cleaners. That's so good. The other one, Coach, is the, when you're coaching and you had the All-State running back in the, in the rainy uh, game. Uh, I think that's a classic. As yeah. Well. This is when I was at Evangelical Christian School. It was raining like crazy. And uh, we had a great tailback uh, named Cranston Skurlock. And Cranston was just the, a one-man show. He was great. But the rain was just soaking everything. By getting close to halftime and, and Cranston's pants, he couldn't keep them up. I called Lester Newsom. Now, Lester is now a pastor in Oxford, Mississippi, and a great, great young man. But Lester wasn't likely to get to play in this game. And I said, Lester, come up here. Man, he, his eyes got big. He came up. I said, you ready? Yes, sir. I said, well, at halftime, change pants because your pants are going in the game. <laughs> Lester still hears that story from me from time to time about how his pants came in and, and played a great second half also. Sometimes these stories I think about, this was modern day, the email would come in the next day from the mom. I can't believe you made my kid yeah. give up his pants. Yeah, you'd think, I you'd think I ruined him for life, but all he did was become a fabulous man of God in That's Oxford, awesome. Mississippi. That's awesome. But I wanted to take a little bit of time and let you reflect on there's a person uh, behind the scenes that doesn't nearly get credit even through this podcast of the guy who was – uh, you know, recruited you, uh, you know, defended you, sustained you uh, for just such a long part of your career. 
And, of course, you know, we're talking about Dr. Connor, but I thought you as, as well as anyone could kind of reflect on how important he was to the ministry of Briarwood football. Wow, I can I could talk a long time on this, and I'll try to be concise and, and still uh, make the main points. Yeah, about 1989, I guess it was, uh, Dr. Connor was coming up to Memphis where I was coaching at Evangelical Christian School. He was good friends with our, my boss at that time, Mickey Bowden. As the Lord opened doors, that's what happened. And there were some great people that Dr. Connor introduced me to on the front end uh, to make sure that I got the great impression. Henry Drake and uh, David Franks were just two of the guys that, man, I realized when if a school has guys like that that are kind of the backbone of it, along with a man like Dr. Kiner, this must be a great place. But Dr. Kiner, he was a wonderful school man. He understood what good schools ought to look like. Mm -hmm. And he uh, understood that uh, good schools should have an athletic program that's uh, competitive and cares and, and is a tool uh, for the for the gospel in itself. Mm -hmm. But anyway, well, Dr. Kiner, when I got here, he had me a, some good coaches already on board, uh, Chip Jones and, of course, Joey Jones, Kevin Kiner, uh, Dr. Kiner's son. These were guys that were on board, and I had good coaches. And we got off to a fast start and won a bunch of games, and it was wonderful. But over the years, my secret weapon was our coaching staffs at Briarwood. Uh, it was no accident that Jay Matthews, Mike Forrester, Jeremiah Castile, and just on and on, I could just keep naming young men, a lot of them young coaches that you would never have heard of. And in every case, every one of them, Dr. Kynard is the one who brought them in. The guys that he brought in were always a right fit. They knew how to coach football and they loved the Lord. And then as the years went on and we were to bring some guys back like Matthew Forrester and Joe Craddock and Daniel Forrester and different ones who had played for us. Now you've got Barrett Trotter on board. You, it, it, that was a resource in itself. So You know, and something I was able to watch firsthand, because you have that grade 11 and 2 season, you know, in 1990. But then there was a stretch there, you know, where things weren't going really well. About three years. Yeah, and then he, he was so instrumental in just – you know, staying steady with the ship. Uh, yes. I thought maybe you could comment on that because I, I, I felt fully supported during the time when it wasn't that way really, you know, as far as some, some of the outside noise. Yeah, uh, Dr. Counter was, he saw the big picture and he uh, trusted that, uh, that I was the right guy for this job, even when we didn't win a bunch of games. And I appreciated that. Uh, uh, I, I never felt questioned by Dr. Kynard, never felt that uh, he didn't get it. I always knew that being a former athlete, and he was he was really a great athlete at uh, Hines Junior College in, in high school, he had, a, he had a heart for athletics and a heart for uh, coaches uh, going through difficult times. And so there, for, for a few years there, the, the talent hadn't come through the pipe yet. Probably one of the first good decisions that we made when I came to Briarwood was that immediately we st tried to start a seventh and eighth grade football program mm -hmm. to go along with a ninth grade program. And there were some years we didn't have, barely had enough to fill the team, 
But we did it, and those kids were getting to play a lot of ball. And so we were going to be better uh, in time. And uh, Dr. Kiner understood that and was real supportive. And uh, I just appreciated his leadership in that area. So I know you've listened to the podcast, uh, so I'm not going to hold you to remembering everything about them. But I did want to kind of walk through a few of the things. And, and as you listen to them, some of the thoughts you had. But so the first one uh, obviously would be, you know, Bart and Joey's episode. Uh, so anything about that stands out as you were reflecting on it or what you thought about? Well, uh, it made me remember that when we, when Sharon and I and our family, our, our, my two children, when we moved down here, uh, I was excited, ready to go, couldn't wait. Uh, and Bart was anything but excited because he was a, going to be a junior quarterback at ECS and all of his friends were there and he had it made. Uh, but to come down here meant a fresh, meant starting over. And uh, he, he was not excited about that. But the guys on the team, and Joey Jones in particular, uh, they made the difference uh, by just being such great friends and, in Joey's case, such a great coach uh, that that made the landing a little bit softer. For the transition was orchestrated by the Lord to, uh, to really protect us from uh, – some things that would have been that would have easily derailed us, but they didn't. Then the '93 one, Forrest Walden, that was our first one. But yeah. Thinking back to that win over Mountain Brook, that first uh, game in '93, and uh, Jamie Lumpkin hit Buddy Hunt for a touchdown pass in the first half. Now this is Little Briarwood against Mountain Brook. That wasn't supposed to happen, but it, that happened right before halftime. And at halftime, when Mountain Brook was coming off the field. I saw the look in those boys' eyes. They were in shock. And, uh, and I remember we, ta we talked about it at halftime. I said, we're going to play defense, we're going to play defense, we're going to play defense. So we're not going to give this game away. Well, what that meant to me was that we were going to punt on third down most of that second half in, order to, in case we got a bad snap or something because I didn't think they would ever score, and they wouldn't have. But Coach Forrester about had a heart attack because I was putting that defense on the field <laughs> when, when he thought, why would you punt on third down? But it worked out great. We just played field position all night, and we ended up winning the game 7 to nothing. It was a big, big win for us, a, a lot of fun. And Forrest Walden, uh, ben, he was one of those quality athletes that, uh, that could have played in any era we ever had here. Then we, you know, the episode with Joey Nigro and and uh, and being reconnected with Joey, you know, he came came to the fiftieth yeah. celebration night from uh, Chicago, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I enjoyed seeing Joey. He uh, he was an impact player. Y'all did a good job on the podcast of expressing uh, how much Joey meant to the program to to have a to have a tough guy who had a heart for the team, who had leadership. And he still does. I got to see him when he came in town for the 50-year uh, deal. And he just oozes uh, leadership even to this day. And, mm -hmm. you know, his dad was that way. Uh, mm -hmm. He was a good man, and his mom was a sweet lady. And they, uh, they, were, they were certainly well-received here at Briarwood. And it helped that he was a good player. He's yeah. a real good player. Yeah. 
And then I, I feel like we really, it, with uh, Daniel McClurk and Michael Ketchum's episode, you know, we covered that B.B. Comer game, but that was a just an incredible group of athletes that, that came through during that time. So did that bring back any thoughts to think about Thomas Downs, McClurkin, and and uh, Walker Reneker and that crew. Yeah, that's the group that they were really kind of a product of our seventh and eighth grade program paying off. These were kids that were coming through the program who were good athletes, who could play football, and they liked it. But those were some real good athletes uh, who had the who had a real heart for uh, su- success the right way. Uh, they were they were great kids, and now they're great leaders in the school and in every other place wherever they are. Uh, I've had the opportunity and the privilege to run into these guys from time to time, and and I'm always grateful to them for the impact they had on Briarwood football and the impact mm-hmm. they had on me. You know, and that group is really involved in the school today, uh, yeah. both the school board, church session. Mm-hmm. Daniel McClurkin's the head of our booster club. So, yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing to watch them continue to give give back. It is. Now, I didn't remember you taping Tim Castile's ankles, but he told the story oh, yeah. about all the time y'all spent together. Uh, yeah. Him, uh, so did yeah. that bring back some thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Every day during the last period, especially if there was a pep rally or something like that, I'd bug out of the pep rally and get with Tim, and we'd go back to the uh, back table there, <coughs> and I would tape his ankles, and we would talk. And I think the way Tim was raised showed uh, he was all about the team. He was all about uh, the experience that he was going through, and and he really had some unusual experiences because he was so good, so young, but he was so unaffected. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't allow himself to get shaped by the world in a, in such a way he uh he was just one of the guys who happened to be a great player you know so, something we didn't we touched on but didn't talk a whole lot about but those two back-to-back years where we played Deschler uh or were pretty historic in terms of you know just those experiences so what, what do you remember when we had those two games uh when we were the 3A champion those two years. They were the 4A champion those two years and, and how we intersected their homecoming games yeah. in both separate places. Yeah, well, the first time we were going to play Deschler, I put them on the schedule knowing that we were going to get beat because they were a powerhouse. Uh, I mean, literally years uh, they had not lost up there. And they were just mowing people. They were beating them 50, 60 points. Well, we went up there. And in one of the greatest games that Briarwood's ever played in uh, up at Deschler, we ended up winning the game. Mm-hmm. We held them on the one-yard line as time was running out in the half. And uh, Matthew Forrester and, and that crew, uh, they dug in and got it done. On the bus after the game, thinking, this is the – greatest feeling in the world <laughs> to have just won this game yeah. tonight. And I don't know that I ever uh, matched or did better than the way that, that victory felt because uh, as one of their parents, one of the Deschler parents told me after the game as I was cleaning up and walking off the field and I was still just excited, but uh, the guy, older fella came up to me and said, Coach, do you know what y'all just did? And I, I said, no, sir, what are you talking about? 
He said, nobody beats Deschler up here. Mm. And uh, that was a point of pride and a, yeah. and a, and a great field. And we, we went on and won, went 15-0 and 0 that year. Yeah. Deschler went 14-1. and 1. Yeah. They won 4A, we won 3A. Yeah. Next year they come down here and, man, they – their coach, Coach Mothershed, did a great job of getting them ready, and we played in a shootout, mm-hmm. and they beat us. Yeah, and uh, we we took the loss like we should have. We yeah. handled it well, and we went on and won the state championship again that year, and they did too. Yeah. So, yeah. great, great rivalry, great respect uh, on the part of both teams, both coaching staffs, and. Uh, the, the boys will never forget playing in great games like those two. So guys. then we had the Joe Craddock, uh, you know, uh, episode of the 2003 state championship game and some of the fun that he had, you know, the, yeah. the move to 5A. Uh, but the B.C. Rain game, the 13-12 to 12 win, uh, and then just some of your thoughts about that about that team. Well, we played B.C. Rain and they were just – they had a bunch of 240-pound speedsters mm-hmm. to go along with those 195 and 200 pounds. They were fast. But our kids, we played out here at our place, and uh, we locked them into a kicking game. And Joe kicked five punts for over 51-yard average, and we just kept them pinned down. Yeah. And, and then your next day in Montgomery, remember? Yeah. What oh, you yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, told the, I told the other coaches, I said, that when I met with them on the next Saturday, the – T- opposing t- teams left in the playoffs. I said, well, we just did y'all a favor. I said, we eliminated the best team in the state. <laughs> and uh, they really were that good. Two weeks later yeah. for the state championship, uh, early in the game, they ran a opening play about 76 yards for a touchdown. And, uh, gosh, they uh, Russellville looked good. We knew they were tough. But we got the ball, and we started moving it a little bit, and then we got it down to third and – I think third and eleven. And uh, Coach Matthews called a sprint to the left. Joe Craddock went to the left, and it, it got clogged up out there. Joe came, reversed his field, came back around to the right, and uh, just ran for a 12-yard gain. And I remember telling Jay, I remember telling you on the headphones, I said, Russell, uh, Russellville's in trouble. They're playing for the state championship and Joe Craddock's in the backyard playing, so we're okay. Joe was just unintimidated. Uh, he was just so relaxed and played just with such confidence. Uh, that's why he's one of the all-time greats. Yeah, yeah. Boy, sure, it was good seeing him on the sidelines calling plays for Troy the other night. Yes. This worked out well for him. Yes, sir. You know, during that time, there's that story about Taylor Gwaltney uh, that oh, we yeah. wanted to make sure we included because uh, I always thought that was special, the the Pleasant Grove uh, yeah. game. This is a sweet story. Uh, and uh, we, we were – Tim Castile was a senior, I believe, and he had been injured, and we were holding him out, and we were going to play Pleasant Grove, and they were really good that year. Gosh, we knew it was going to be a dogfight, but I, I – didn't think Tim was quite ready, and so we played the whole game and it got real tight. Uh, it's just they're ahead, we're barely behind. Uh, we need we needed to score and kick an extra point to time. Excuse me, we needed to score, and then if we kick the extra point, we could win. Time was running out. That's it, and we got inside the 15-yard line, 
And Coach Matthews came up with a great call, ran the double pass from Joe Craddock over to Brian Crumpler, who was a wide receiver, who was a former quarterback, out wide, and Brian raised up and threw the pass. Well, the guy who caught the pass was Tim Castile, who wasn't supposed to be in the game, except Tim had come running up to me right before that, and he said, Coach, if you put me in the game, I'll win it for us. <laughs> I said, do you promise? He said, yes, sir. So I sent him in the game, and we ran the double pass to Tim, and Crumpler's pass was probably a a, a good pass for some folks, but it was a hard pass to catch because Tim had to lay out, belly out, yep. and make a wonderful pro catch yep. to gather it in. Well, that made the score tied. Well, now all we've got to do is kick the extra point, and we're going to win the game because not much time. Well, we've got a great kicker in Ben the Bloodsworth, but the problem was he'd gotten a concussion earlier in the game. We don't have a second kicker. Now, we've been letting Taylor Gwaltney do it all year just because he liked to kick. But, he and, uh, but Taylor came up, boy, just chomping on his mouthpiece, said, Coach, I'm ready. So I said, okay, you're it. And uh, we sent Taylor in, and ball is snapped, placed. Taylor puts it through. It kind of uh, tumbles through. It wasn't yeah. a pretty kick, but that's okay. It went yeah. through. We won the game. Everybody's happy. And uh, after the game, Taylor's dad, Hap Gwaltney, was the most happy guy I've ever seen in my life. He was so proud, and I don't blame him, and Hap was a great fella. And uh, the reason this story's kind of important to me was that was on Friday night. Well, Hap went into the hospital early the next week, and by Wednesday of that week, he had passed away. Mm. And uh, it's really unexpected, unknown, but I often thought that the Lord allowed Taylor and his dad to have that moment mm. when he allowed me to have it, too. Yeah, yeah. This is the end of part one of our time with Coach Fred Yancey. Our next episode will continue this amazing conversation of stories continue to talk about his life and career as a Broward football coach. This podcast and many others and all your favorite podcast providers. <laughs>